This is Darts and Letters producer Ren here with a special bonus episode this week from Kino Lefter. Kino Lefter is a fellow Harbinger Network show. It's a socialist film review podcast hosted by Evan McDonald. Our host Gordon and producer Mark were recently on the show to chat with Evan about our deep dive on Discordia, the documentary on the Concordia University Netanyahu riot. If you haven't heard our episode yet, check it out. In this Kino Lefter episode, you'll hear Gordon, Mark, and Evan discuss the documentary and our retrospective on it. If you liked our episode, you're going to like this one. Mark, Gordon, and Evan will talk much more about their experiences with campus activism, where they think things are today, and the lessons they took from Discordia. Thanks for listening. Here's Kino Lefter. Yeah, the pressure's really on. Oh my god. Okay. Let's see. I'm so stupid. I have my notes in Safari and then the show is open in Chrome. So that's just great. I'm very well prepared for this. Hello and welcome to the most important film podcast in Canada, Kino Lefter. It's the most important podcast about movies, and it's the most important podcast about socialism, the dimensions of student politics, what was going on at Concordia University in 2004, and other big questions. I'm your host, Evan at McDonald Tweets, and joining me today are two very special guests from a fellow Harbinger Media Network podcast, Darts and yes, Letters, it's Gordon hey, and Mark. Mm-hmm. Gordon, yes, how are you? I'm fantastic. I got a little nervous there when you started doing your intro, because you kind of like tripped up at film and i thought you were going to say the most important film and that we were filming this and it was going to be like a no. really really <laughs> but that would uh, be a fun twist for any podcast <laughs> like this your image will be broadcast to so many people no cinema verite <laughs> yeah, absolutely mark how's it going yes good thank you um yeah i'm good thanks for having us seven so if you haven't listened to Darts and Letters, what's what's the show all about? I've I've listened to a couple episodes, very fun show. So what's your what's your niche? You got to have a niche in today's <laughs> important world of discourse. I'd say that we're one of the few like well-made, maybe the few, maybe one of the only uh, podcasts, Canadian podcasts that's like a lefty take on academia. So really, we are a, politi- uh, a show that's about the politics of intellectual culture, expertise, academic institutions, scientists, um, and pseudo-intellectuals. So um, yeah, we do lots, lots of different stuff. Uh, what we're about to talk to you about today uh, relates to kind of a series that we're making that looks at uh, student activism and the relationship between activism and academia more broadly, which is kind of a fraught relationship as as you see in the film Discordia. It's going to be a fascinating series for sure. I'm excited to listen to it, um, as we'll discuss throughout this episode. Uh, I feel like everyone, unfortunately, some people are burdened with having a history of student activism or involvement with student government. So I'm excited to get into it further. But as you said, we are getting into the 2004 documentary Discordia, 
which you can a, a fun play on words as we'll soon <laughs> learn um so this is a documentary it's just over an hour so i would recommend to people watch the film because it is very interesting um and this is the this is the summary that the national film board gives us because they did fund it and you can watch it there for free on September 9th, 2002, a scheduled appearance by former Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu sparked heated debate at Montreal's Concordia University. By the end of the day, the Concordia riot, in quotes, had made international news from CNN to Al Jazeera. The film documents the fallout from that eventful day following three young campus activists as they negotiate the most formative years of their lives. Filmmakers Ben Edelman and Samir Malal jump into the fray with street smart bravado and a handheld camera <laughs> buoyed by the songs of hip-hop artist buck 65 this film offers a tonic reflection on the current state of canadian student activism and the enduring value of tolerance i would agree with that i think that is what the film covers but <laughs> spot on but uh yeah you you folks came to me to talk about this film i had never seen it before but um as I was talking about earlier, I do, I am unfortunately very well versed in the world of student politics. Some listeners may know this, others may not. I did work for two years in the Alberta student movement in uh, various roles, but I am intimately familiar, at least with the Western Canadian experience of <laughs> the, uh, the travails and pressures and uh, tomfoolery associated with student activism student government so i'm curious as to what brought you two to this film well uh like you i had actually not seen this film until i think maybe it was like october or something like that it was it came as a real shock to me that i hadn't seen it because i actually was involved in israel palestine activism um at the university of british columbia in vancouver uh, and i'll talk a little bit about this story on 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 our episode which i encourage people to check out but Long story short, like I was involved uh, with SPHR, kind of more in solidarity uh, with them through another uh, campus group, a lefty campus group. Um, and we uh, donated money to what was then called the Canada uh, Boat to Gaza. It was part of the flotilla. Um, and what progressed after that looked a lot like what you see in Discordia, just like more chilled out because it's Vancouver. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we had Hillel and this group called the Israeli Awareness Center uh, running all these crazy smears about us. The student government blocked this donation. We were called anti-Semites. It, it culminated in this like three hour uh, debate um, in student council with like 300 people there. There was warring petitions. Noam Chomsky wrote a petition in defense of us. David Frum in the National Post wrote a column about how we were Hamas thugs. Uh, and I feel like politically, my, my sort of commitment to political activism and media was really like forged in the crucible of this moment, um, which in the grand scheme of things, it was kind of inconsequential because the boat actually was intercepted by um, the Israeli Navy, so it never made it. The $700 did make it um, as a donation, although the student government, because they were so worried and so uh, cautious and right-wing, spent $13,000 in legal fees evaluating the implications of the $700 donation. Wow. <laughs> Anyways, there, there may have been a CSIS investigation about whether or not we were terrorists, uh, because the they, they did inquire. I'm not sure if that ever went anywhere. Um, 
but yeah, I was thinking about this. I saw the movie. I'm like, wow, this looks a lot like me and my comrades, but also my enemies. Uh, and given kind of what it meant for me, um, after that whole episode, I ran for vice president and the president of SPHR, Omar, my friend ran for president. We both lost, unfortunately. Um, but then I got a column, then I got a, a radio show, then I got a podcast and here we are. Um, and so I saw this and I was like, oh my God, where did these people go? Because what they went through, as we'll talk about, and as you see in the movie, if you watch it, um, is so much more intense than what I went through. I mean, people called me names and there were petitions and people yelled, but I wasn't arrested or expelled or anything like that. Um, so I was curious and I just wanted to see like, what does, what does student activism mean for people? Like the the image of Gord as a Hamas thug. Yeah. <laughs> um, my my way to the film, I hadn't thought about it in a long time. I'm a little older than you guys, I think. I'm, I think the exact same age as all the people in the movie, so all the people we interviewed for this doc and the guys in the movie. So, um, yeah, my involvement in activism up, to the, up until that point was pretty piecemeal when I was a student, so I wasn't involved as uh, as much of either, either of you guys. But I had been to the um, uh, NAFTA the uh, uh, NAFTA protests in no. Uh, Lea, I remember in French, not in English, in Quebec City in, what was it, 2000 or 1999? Mm. Free Trade Area of the Americas, the MTA. Mm. Um, and that, I think, was um, not a catalyst for everything going pretty radical at Concordia, but it was one of the events that I think did kind of um, bring a lot of, of the um, activists together who then went on to form very lefty uh, student government that then went on to be in power at the time that the whole Netanyahu thing went down. And a lot of the activists that I was trying to get a hold of for a documentary were people that I remember. I went to Guelph and there was a guy named uh, Tom Kiefer who had either graduated from Guelph and then gone to Concordia and gotten involved in politics there. Um, but it was interesting because I remember, you know, they were, they were my, my kind of cohort and some of these guys were fairly big names Canada-wide when I was an undergrad. Um, so if you were in any way keyed into the activism scene, this was like the contemporary stuff that was happening. And so I remember when that happened at Discordia, at Concordia, the, the, the riot. Um, and then I ended up there a few years later for uh, a journalism um, uh, diploma in 2005. So I missed all the fun, mm. but uh, I kind of got the fumes. <laughs> If only we could go back. Ugh, missed my opportunity to be involved with this. It's, it's amazing, too, because, um, yeah, the film just, it's got that kind of gritty feel, that granular feel that kind of feels the like the late 90s, early 2000s. Gordon and I were talking about this, like that student building, which I would have been in frequently when, when I was at, doing my this, this journalism diploma, um, had a, a, a gritty feel to it. My, my niece now, she is at uh, Metro U, formerly Ryerson in Toronto, and the student center is so shiny and corporate. It's a different world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, UBC now looks like um, a mixed use residential development in an upscale uh, Vancouver suburb. <laughs> like, yeah, um, it is all. I mean, it was always kind of kind of like, I mean, it, it always had that reputation, but but in actual fact, it was pretty ratty and run down. But I think um, Vancouver and UBC has a particular population of sort of 
wealthier kids that are there because they want to go to Whistler and things like that. Um, and so it quickly, it quickly sort of gentrified. But when I was there at UBC, um, yeah, it was, it looked, it looked kind of exactly like Concordia. And I got to say, I mean, before a year or two, before I got involved in campus activism, we had this thing called the Knoll, which is basically just a mound, which just a little hill in the center of campus. Uh, and there was protests around there for, for various things, uh, tuition um, increases. And then um, afterwards, there was a development that was going to uh, take the Knoll down. I was say, did they remove the Knoll? Yeah, they were going to remove the Knoll. And then like all the lefty activists a year or two before I got there just kind of, you know, s- stood on the Knoll as as police beat them essentially but but the but the uh the knoll remained but now it's just kind of part of this what looks like a mall like half of it is even inside so it doesn't look like it used to wow the symbolism of the knoll yeah yeah and of course the knoll very important because a famous president was shot from there but we don't have to get into it um so yeah to speak a bit to the the framing of this film um we we open with our good friend B.B. Netanyahu, uh, who's coming to Concordia, who is invited by the Jewish student group there, Hillel, which will follow throughout the conflict of the film. Um, and uh, this ended in a riot. I wasn't terribly familiar with the Concordia riot. It feels like in terms of like student politics, it feels like from ancient times, from a different planet, um, from what I was uh, from what I was well versed in. And this becomes a a news item that people are fascinated by. Um, the organizers of this demonstration face sanctions from the university and criminal charges. Not very exciting. Um, and we were talking sort of about aesthetics. This entire film is captured uh, on a digital camcorder. Uh, and we get this early 2000s hip hop uh, throughout <laughs> the entire thing. And... Everyone is wearing the most 2002 outfits of all time. The little hats, everyone's in black or leather jackets. Everything's oversized. And I have to say, as like a as a snapshot of time, hyper accurate. There is a hyper realism going on here. And we were joking about cinema verite uh, earlier, but this the film does have the feeling of you're walking through the hallways with these people and even the sort of like push and pull of you know people are on camera so there might be some element of performance versus capturing people at like sensitive moments it, it does have an interesting in, in terms of a film it does have that interesting documentary style and you occasionally you hear the voices of the people behind the camera and then it's like oh the everyone involved they're just kids they're just you know <laughs> embroiled in this conflict that you know is so beyond their control and the 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 stakes of which who's to say the the argumentative battlefield like aaron says near the end of the film shaped by people who are not them yes <laughs> um, and shaped by forces beyond their control so um yeah filmically i was very interested <laughs> in uh in what this was doing but it, um it, it really yeah. epitomizes an onf uh national film board movie in a way doesn't it like the the direct cinema documentaries that were the sort of bread and butter of the ONF for, uh, for the NFB for, for the sixties and seventies. And then mm. these two kids come and sort of perfect it in the night in the early two thousands. 
Yeah, the backstory behind the actual making of it, and we we talked to Ben and, and Samir, the the co-directors of it on our in our episode, is is kind of interesting. They're both like fresh out of school, like so fresh. I'm talking about like the Samir graduated the year before, um, and so he knew um, Aaron Mate, who's like one of the protagonists of the film. And when I asked him about you know how he got all those fascinating scenes, he's just like, I just stuck around. Like they all knew me, and you know it it, it wasn't really even that unusual. We went for drinks afterwards, and that sort of thing. So I think it's kind of the only, the only it can't really happen. Uh, a movie like this couldn't really happen today. That's another thing we talk about. I mean, for a bunch of reasons, because the directors are, are older, um, but because I think all the institution and all the institutions involved, including the NFB and Concordia would be much more cautious, much more litigious, much more like what, what you're going to have a film crew, like hanging out with these students, like that, that just wouldn't, wouldn't really fly. Um, so I, it's a snapshot. I, I don't know that we'll ever get one quite like it, which is why I thought it was such a fascinating movie. Yeah, we won't get it in this form. Uh, now when we get it, it's uh, long Instagram posts or TikToks <laughs> taking each other down, and then you have to research yeah. the beefs involved. Um, so we won't get, you know, an Not NFB documentary. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I, I feel like, the the point of view of this film is what you know makes it strong um is that it it doesn't have a sense of being like above the characters um it feels like it's generated from their world like there isn't a sort of it it's very sincere mm-hmm. like uh, and it, you get to follow the emotional journey of the of the documentary subjects so i think that was uh, one thing that i really respected about it so we can talk a bit more about sort of the the events of the plot of it um there's a window that breaks at the beginning of this film uh which will go on to anchor some of the uh conflict in the future and first of all as like someone who you know is is used to seeing student protests and everything especially in quebec um a lot of folks coming out for this uh which is great love to see big (laughs) crowds of students caring about things um and a window breaks and i love the cops uh in this like uh it's i mean it's always a you know a, an easy go-to visual thing but whatever side the cops are on generally not the side that i want to be on in terms of <laughs> you know right side of history challenging power and everything else um and they just hang out with their billy clubs and wait to arrest people uh one of them is like hitting against the window waiting for people to go away um which is excellent good work everyone <laughs> um, and uh yeah and and then we do have this like the central conflict is sort of spelled out between uh, Arab and Jewish students over the the topic of Israel and the human rights abuses uh, that Palestinians suffer there. And uh, I think that and, and Aaron has an interesting sort of arc throughout this where uh, he is uh, very unhappy with uh, the protest and he's this concern about tolerance and freedom of speech uh runs throughout the entire film so i was curious how did you feel about the the opening of the film and sort of our our introduction to these Mm. conflicts that will run throughout yeah i mean a lot to say about those debates i mean one of the things that that i want to add that that mark did a really really good job uh uncovering is some of the backstory behind uh the event itself um in the way that it was kind of organized as a show of force by israeli activists on campus but then also the police who i don't know there's like dozens of them 
maybe hundreds and they have this plan to sort of like keep everyone away and corral them through uh, this one door um, and great strategic police work because they just don't <laughs> understand the the campus at all because there was another door uh to a cafe that i guess they thought was maybe just a cafe but there was a if you walk through that cafe there's another set of doors that leads into the main building so if you could picture the geography of it basically what happens is the students realized oh they're trying to corral us but they don't know what the fuck they're doing this door is open let's go this way so they walk in and then they're behind the police and so or in front of the police, rather. Uh, and, and the police get really uh, caught off guard by this and then just start bashing people's heads in, essentially. Uh, and then that's when the glass is broken. So it's just another example of fine police work. I support them. I think they're doing an outstanding job. Um, and they need to keep defending former slash current slash former Israeli politicians' <laughs> right to speak at the Concordia campus. Um, one line from early in the film that I really liked, um, I think it might have been Aaron who brought it up, uh, was talking about what their opponents were calling them. And someone called them a Marxist Arabist cabal that runs the <laughs> student union. I would love to be labeled uh, with that. That's, a, that's an excellent turn of phrase. <laughs> it's like Gord being a Hamas thug. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And this is where the sort of film splits into sort of three parts largely we get three characters that we follow throughout uh Sommer, aaron and noah so um Sommer and aaron uh Sommer's one of the vice presidents uh, of a palestinian students group um and he's uh as his as his mother says he's a free spirit um <laughs> he's very well spoken very engaged about palestinian issues uh, he's a spokesperson for the student group um aaron is He's a Jewish student who is who is an ally of the Palestinian cause. And that sort of notion of allyship is is questioned uh, and sort of problematized throughout the film. Um, and Noah, I think, might be the president of Hillel. At the very least, he's involved. Um, and uh, he he just keeps on trucking throughout this film. <laughs> Not much of his worldview is challenged. Uh, and he's he's sticking to his guns, which is uh an excellent part of being conservative. Um, but uh, Mark, you want to jump in? Yeah, important to note, though, he was interviewed by The Globe in like shortly after it all went down and was uh, came out saying he has never supported Bibi uh, or any of the policies, but he was there for the for Hillel. Mm. That's excellent. Yeah, I, I thought the debates around uh, free speech uh, just looked really, really familiar to me in my days in cap campus activism. The kind yeah. of like, you know, you don't you don't own this issue because you're not Palestinian um, and the sort of strategic arguments that people like Aaron and um, in the piece that Mark made, he talked to another VP, Eve Engler, um, who's an anti-war activist, you know, my take is that, like, strategically, I think Aaron and Eve were right. I don't know that's very contentious, but I, I do think that the blowback um, to, uh, against uh, the campus activists, the left slate of the Concordia Student Union and SPHR, uh, the blowback was intense. Um, and we could talk a little bit more about this later, but, like, the end of the film is essentially them all getting voted out 
Um, and there's a real kind of nadir of campus activism, at least for a little while. This this slate called uh, Evolution, uh, Not Revolution, <laughs> wins, uh, essentially on a platform of like depoliticizing the campus. <laughs> like, let's all just get along, folks. Why are we doing this political stuff? Um, so anyways, yeah, but, but, uh, but part of the reason why I liked it so much is I remember having, having debates like that uh, myself. Um, well, I mean, we've, we've had episodes this year where you've, you know, talked about Trump getting deplatformed from Twitter or whatever. It's a pretty similar, it's just sort of a corollary of the things that we're talking about today. Yeah, exactly. Sort of the aggrieved, uh, inflaming the, the sense of grievance of your opposition, I think. Um, and very, I mean, obviously very cynically exploited, like, you know, the newspaper articles afterwards that said like, uh, you know, comparing this to Kristallnacht and things like mm. that yeah. <laughs> from like right wing papers. I mean, it's crazy, but you know, you know, it's going to happen. Yeah. If you give them a lot to grab onto, they're going to yeah. take it for all it's worth. Yeah. I'm, I'm in agreement with both of you. I think that that's a, an interesting question that runs throughout the film because uh, there's a moment uh, after the protest uh, has happened and there's a period where Concordia will allow no middle east related events <laughs> which is <laughs> phenomenal yeah um and uh hillel has a booth or a table where they're essentially trying to recruit students to join the idf <laughs> which again extremely funny um <laughs> and then the student union uh the csu there uh the concordia student union they decide to like or there's a motion brought up at a student council meeting and they decide to basically get rid of the official student group status of Hillel or, mm -hmm. um, so big mistake politically. Um, that's one thing. Uh, and then there's sort of the, the, you know, the ideal version of it, because I think when you're, when you're in student government, um, it's, it's this fascinating position where you are, you're in this very formative time of your life, like we've been saying. These people are learning what their politics are, and this is their first sort of testing area to see how it's going to work or what how they'll answer uh, these challenges. And it's fascinating when you give uh, these people power, and like Aaron calls them like authoritarian, which I think is funny, maybe a bit extreme to call <laughs> yeah. a student union authoritarian. But the center of it is like, oh, we have this power to punish this student group for doing something questionable. So we're going to use it. And it creates this shitstorm where they're clearly in the wrong. Like there's no reason to do this. It's just <laughs> going to inflame things more. And they're getting sued over it, which is a classic student union activity to get sued. <laughs> yes. um, and uh, it, it's really saddening. And I, I think that these sort of, debates about campus free speech for me they're exhausting right yeah. where, where i it's it's such a pain and all of these issues have such a long afterlife once you once the sort of like you know decision to clamp down on something is done uh for example when i was going to the u of a university of alberta for people not living in alberta we're like u of a <laughs> arkansas arizona um there was this uh, really disgusting uh, anti-abortion protest mm. that set up these like massive billboards on the quad going like, these are the babies you're killing. So there was a counter protest, um, which was great. And then the university decided to charge 
the anti-abortion group like $50,000 worth of like security fees because they're like, oh, we need security out there. So essentially getting rid of their right to protest. And it's like, do I disagree with these anti-abortion protesters? Obviously. Um, And then once that, you know, right is infringed upon, you enter a new territory, right? Which is, you know, murky, ethically Mm. dubious and (laughs) bad. So I think that um, seeing the way that Hillel is able to escalate because they have their student group status taken away is fascinating as like a case study Mm. um, for how not just student politicians, but people in similar positions can deal with this, where they get to generate momentum and bring in more speakers and get in the news more because they are being penalized. They get to have this victimhood status within, you know, the news media, within the courts. So, um, yeah, bad times. <laughs> in, in a way, I mean, we've we've talked about the movie being really a focus, you know, not on the content of the protest that was happening, but really about these like young people in their sort of coming of age story. But in a way, you could look at it as a uh, as a how to video on political optics. I mean, you get to see yeah. things go yeah. wrong when you try and be too heavy handed. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, you see. You see so many interesting kind of strategic wins and strategic blunders. I think Halel, for whatever reason, is pretty savvy. Um, I think that SPHR, for a lot of it, looks like they are. Like, for instance, there's these great scenes where, you know, they're doing these various interviews and you can see they're like wicked smart and they have the quickest retorts to any kind of dumb question a journalist might ask them. But then later in the kind of... uh, uh, for the third act of the film, uh, the Palestinian or the, the Arab protagonist, Samer, um, like does this feature with a global uh, TV station and thinks it's going to be fine. And it, <laughs> they end up obviously crucifying him. And he's like, damn it, I was so naive. Um, and so in a way, like I feel like the the my side of it, just to put the cards on the table, I feel like they... They didn't look great. Even even Aaron, who I tend to sort of agree with um, the opinions that he expressed in the film, he also kind of is a bit of an asshole about them. Like he he uh, he kind of sandbagged his his comrades and grandstanded about his values. And so even if I share those values, I'm like, man, you didn't you didn't have to show them up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was complicated for sure. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, that's the the great part of this film, right, is you get young people dealing with these issues. So when Aaron uh, like takes over the media spot and is like, just to be clear, I personally disagree with this. Like, uh, it, you know, it, it has this like it's the intersection of being politically engaged and you know, being friends with these people yeah. and the the social power that you know you have to wield within institutions like this uh Aaron is not interested in that um and i think you can see how this sort of thing isn't reflected in student union politics or student associations today um because earlier in this episode we were talking about you know if you can't make this movie today no one would ever allow it um Today, student associations are very, they have mostly corporate structures. They're Mm -hmm. very professionalized, very media savvy. Um, They have, you know, in-house communications teams. 
Um, so you would not get boots on the ground documentary filming with yeah. a couple people and their uh, digital video camera. Um, and instead, uh, you know, these people are media trained and, uh, we, you know, having experience in student union politics, it's not terribly dissimilar from the state of something like organized labor in Canada, mm. where it's, you know, you're mostly a lobbying organization and maintaining relationships, positive working relationships with the government and with the institution itself are held at a much higher premium than whatever you're fighting for or, you know, whatever positive outcome you want. Mm. So, yeah, I, I feel these dimensions within student politics of a more radical stance of like, you know, why aren't we doing more? A student union can be so much more versus I don't want to rock the boat and I'll actually get things done. Like, you know, <laughs> th these are we see them in, you know, contemporary politics outside of student governments, obviously. So what did you think about sort of that push and pull of and, and I mean, it's said brilliantly in like the names of the slates it's fantastic <laughs> clean slate versus evolution not revolution um this sort of like inherent conservatism to student politics which you know we experience a lot in alberta to some extent you don't experience it in quebec but i feel like there's a it comes and goes um so what do you think of that dimension of the film it yeah, I mean, what, what what you say about kind of the the character of of student campus uh, politics or university uh, student unions rather um, totally resonates. I mean, the the student union that I was a part of, the Alma Mater Society at UBC, uh, they were just incredibly managerial. Um, and in fact, you know, I mentioned being part of the student club. They essentially outsourced all of their um, activism to these resource groups, which we were a part, because <laughs> they just didn't want to do it. They, they didn't even want to touch things like pride. Like they 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 had that funded through a separate stream. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, the the corporate structure. I have one sort of funny story about that. So at UBC, we had all these student businesses, and they were named, as far as I understand by David Suzuki, who was a student um, activist at UBC when he was there as undergrad. And all of them had these like punny names to do with school that I kind of liked. Everyone liked. So the bagels place was called Bernoulli's Bagels. I guess that's like a math guy. Um, the sushi place was called Honor Roll. Oh, and the uh, <laughs> the pizza place was called Pi R Squared, another kind of math thing. <laughs> Anyways, um, People learned to love these names. And then the student union uh, signed this, this massive consulting deal with this communications firm mm -hmm. to like revolutionize their image. Uh, and the thing I'll never forget is what they, dis what they suggested that we rename Pi R Squared. They suggested that we name it Boom Pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Boom Pizza. Oh, that rules. That's so good. I... I totally boom pizza. I, it sounds like who's that uh, comms guy who worked for Donald Trump who got fired and then rehired several times? A sc Scaramucci or something? Scaramucci. That yeah. sounds like some some <laughs> gritty New Yorkers. Yeah, you have a good pizza shop. Yeah, um, but the, the, re renaming it, it to what do you think about that? What do you think about this slice? <laughs> but the thing is, like. It, like it wasn't just a crazy idea. Like they were going to go through with it and they like printed things and it was like student protests that essentially saved the stupid punny name instead of the generic corporate name. But, <laughs> um, but that was something I constantly grappled with and I was a student activist. And one of the things 
that uh, there's one of my favorite moments of the movie was when they were um, interviewing Gabor Mate, um, Aaron's uh, Aaron's dad, who's a writer, um, and people probably know his work. Um, but he said something. He's just like, I wish people were like more involved. I don't care which side, but like if you don't if you don't like get riled up now, like when are you ever going to? Um, and I've always felt that way. But for whatever reason, I think a lot of students. Uh, they go the other direction. They sort of overcorrect because they don't. Fe- they feel like they need to to impress a university administrator rather than just have values. Hmm. Yeah. Sorry, Mark. You go ahead. I just think like in in some of this is, I, I think the students who get involved in politics are, you know, they're 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 generally pretty advanced in their thinking, hmm. and I suspect that a lot of students like you're just you're coming out of. You know, you've been you've been in your childhood based uh, bedroom and this is like the next step. Yeah. And it's hard to you have to be pretty willful and um, developed in your thinking. To, like, that's what I find so impressive about those kids is how mm. how much of a stand they can take, how much confidence they have in their positions. At that stage, I, I certainly didn't. I mean, that's why, like, my activism was limited to Oberg, where we were doing like anti-pesticide groups and shit like that. <laughs> Shout out to Operg. I was very involved with Aperg in Alberta, so we share some DNA that way. But uh, yeah, I I think the the depoliticizing energy on campus uh, was so saddening. But Mm. I mean, so many people have talked about why this is the case. Like, uh, I remember Mark Fisher and capitalist realism. He was talking about, you know, comparing students in the UK and France and why in France students feel empowered to protest um, because they can feel that change is possible through political action. In the UK, people are so downtrodden and Mm. too busy being mentally ill and poor at school and obsessed with success and that sort of like validation that the academy provides that, they're not interested in mm. politics. Um, and the people who are interested in politics are the same people who just want to succeed uh, in sort of the, in all streams of life, like academia or their career. So then you get this sort of professionalization where, you know, you go into student government, not because I really want to change the world. And, you know, I, it's time to bring internationalism to, you know, Red Deer College. It's <laughs> it's something to put on your resume. Uh, and that that sort of, you know, tension or that sort of, you know, adhe- like uh, dislike of conflict. I I felt, especially in Alberta, where I feel like so much of life is driven by careerism, making money uh respecting the economy you know the <laughs> saluting <laughs> trucks everything else um never questioning uh the basis of the entire economic order fossil fuels destroying the planet etc um where then you get this academy that is focused on job training as mm. opposed to learning about the world learning how to learn learning how to think um those sort of concepts go into the garbage and then especially at somewhere like the U of A, or I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the current landscape of uh, Alberta post-secondary, but there's been this drive to change the funding formula mm-hmm. for universities so that uh, more career-oriented programs receive higher amounts of funding. Um, there's a push for work-integrated learning, so one of the biggest parts of your education would be 
an internship where you can be cheap labor for somewhere. This is a fun story. Um, but when I was working at a student union, the work integrated labor um, programs were so bad at the university that they would often have these agreements. And it's it's a thing that sounds positive. It's bipartisan, right? Work integrated learning. We love work. We love learning. Bring them together. Um, you would just get like bottom of the barrel jobs, like stapling papers together. And sometimes they would have these agreements with employers that would fall through. And it's like, okay, you're going to work in admissions and you're going to grab things from the printer for a summer. So you're soaking up that essence, right? Exactly. It, it enhances your degree. It enhances the learning experience. And I feel like, especially in Alberta, um, while, you know, there are centers of student activism, there is discontent, especially around whatever current action the government's taking. There's, I don't want to say silent majority, but there's plenty of students who don't care, who just want mm. to get on with learning, don't get in trouble, so you can get your degree and get a job. And the university as like the academy or the sense of like it being a place where learned people will have conversations that are going to change the world. It, no, it doesn't exist, right? And as, as we were talking about even the the geography of these places like Concordia in this film, it looks like a university, right? Mm -hmm. It has a bit of a grit to it, right? There's students everywhere. They're gathering together, looking at universities in Alberta. It's impossible to differentiate them from like a hospital or a shopping mall or an office. Like it's all steel and glass and just boring architecture to prepare you to be a drone for the rest of your <laughs> life. So oh, yeah. we, we get, a tease of that if you will at the end of this film yeah i mean that's that's that experience when i went into the metro u student center and saw that the like student cafe was a starbucks <laughs> yeah as opposed to some ratty thing run by the student union with mismatched furniture and stuff like that i was i was gonna say uh you mentioned that study um between um protest movements in france and the uk mm -hmm. and i'm spitballing there I'm, there's no real deep thought into this but um I, you know, the, the French and Quebec are sort of two options that you can look at where they seem to have relative to their Anglo counterparts, more vibrant protest movements. Um, what is it about like the national character that perhaps there's just a certain amount more in the, in the national um, imagination, a certain amount more reverence for that kind of re rebel, like rebel with a sort of passion for mm -hmm. something justice oriented. Um, because I was talking to someone recently who had an American who was living in the UK and she expressed her dismay on several occasions about um, like, she has all the sympathy for uh, people who are concerned about, uh, you know, global heating, but she was just like, but fuck does extinction rebellion really have to block traffic? It's like, <laughs> this is what we're worried about. You know, <laughs> we are, we have left the precipice and we're pissed off about people blocking traffic. <laughs> how do we how does how does the the sort of perception or the public value placed on people who disrupt things mm. change but to put in a word of like uh defense for the modern student I, I should say i mean one of the things that mark and i i think both thought going into this was that this is completely dormant now but mark i mean um you spoke to um a concordia student union uh representative and sphr representative 
undergrad in fourth year today. Um, and she sort of pushed back in a bunch of different ways um, that I thought was uh, super interesting. Yeah, you want to talk, talk more about that? Yeah, yeah. I think we got a little schooled. We kind of had this working <laughs> hypothesis that that um, particularly anti-war activism, but activism writ large was pretty moribund and that it had maybe would have it would have would have worked nicely for this piece that we did if it had ended with discordia that that was the day that activism died um <laughs> but that of course didn't happen and so when i was talking to her i was pre-interviewing her um she uh, uh her name is haya bitar she's mm -hmm. a, a student union rep at, at, at concordia and she was like no that's that's bullshit and sort of i think there might have been a subtexts and like yeah maybe you old people think that <laughs> but you don't know the terrain that we're working with now which is that uh, there's a lot more um, online. Uh, um, they can kind of, you know, people can using her doing activism online. You can be sort of censored and followed, and people can, you know, the the powers that be can figure out who you are and where mm. you're at. Yeah. Um, and just that the stakes are pretty high because a lot of Palestinian activists can lose their visa. I mean, so many students now are like students from abroad or are, are visiting students. Yeah. Um, so there's just really high stakes. And so they operate in ways that maybe we don't recognize. Uh, but according to her, you know, um, a lot of the, a lot of the activism was happening online, but it was still vibrant. Mm. Yeah. I mean, and she told me about certain um, occupations that they had done, um, but also said, you know, the university is, is more hardcore about this kind of stuff. So we have to be really careful. Um but she also told me that the CSU voted successfully to pass a motion that said that they can never take a position on Israel-Palestine. Um, so I think that they're kind of pushing back um, and it's coming back a little bit, at least the, the sort of slate of lefties that Haya um, represents from, from what I could gather in, in the conversation that we had. Um, but yeah, I mean, she she had optimism, but also also sort of conceded, like maybe I'm just being optimistic because you have to be, um, which I think is a totally fair point. Yeah, and it it's it, there's different dimensions, and I, I appreciate what you were saying about how she was speaking to you know digital activism and also the precarity that mm. students find themselves in, right? Because I feel like the costs of you know being vocal or being militant about these issues can be dire, especially with universities that you know have crisis management teams and it can call their own campus police or the regular police, mm. um, to, you know, oust you from school. Um, there's, it, it feels like it's this Leviathan, right? That mm -hmm. students have to face and you're so overburdened with schoolwork and, you know, all these other responsibilities that it's like, you know, how do I slot myself in? And especially in Alberta, like there's, there's movement on like some issues that you see every once in a while. Um, but I feel like tensions around like, you know, Israel, Palestine, like, you know, there hasn't been something like that in Alberta. So there's nothing to there, there's nothing to compare it to. Um, but, uh, you know, there there are like Palestinian student groups, obviously, like most major universities, you know, putting on programming or doing whatever. Um, and then there's also this tension because in Alberta there's this i mean the question of free speech on campus is a a curious one uh one that is often weaponized by the alberta government um because one of the things that the united conservative party promised to bring in was we're gonna you know campuses 
free speech on campus is under attack. So every university in the province needs to come up with a free speech policy. Um, and of course, you know, then it's because, you know, they referenced like maybe one group 10 years ago <laughs> that was like, we're going to bring in the speaker from Israel and they were insulted. So now everyone needs to conform to this. And then how do those freedom of speech, you know, quote unquote policies get, you know, used against, you know, students who are you know, speaking on issues like, you know, Palestinian sovereignty or, mm. you know, climate change or how can how disruptive can this free speech be um, until it's, you know, policed internally by the university? So, um, yeah, it, it feels like it's a difficult terrain to be in in student politics like we were talking about what this film can be it's almost like a a case study of what not to do but like <laughs> that successful model of like oh here's where student activism can bring you it's difficult to see sometimes like mm. how do students who are really passionate about issues like score wins or push the conversation forward like it's a it's a difficult difficult <laughs> spot that i think uh students today find themselves in yeah, and if if there if there was any um value placed on discord in society, and I there is of course importance in it, people pushing in different directions, the sort of instrument instrumentalization of education of students that you were just referring to before, Evan, is is the opposite of that, right? It's like nothing that isn't going to result in a degree that can allow you to make money in the market once you're done school is worthwhile. Mm -hmm. So just get rid of it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and, and on the free speech thing, I think one of the things that um, is interesting about the movie, um, it's not just about that debate, but, but, but basically every strategic debate that they have, none of them really know. They're all sort of figuring it out as they go along. Um, but, but I remember like seeing, I mean, I definitely think there's a cultural change around free speech. A lot more people start talking about like speech as harm, which they don't mm -hmm. necessarily agree with, but when you really look at the polling, like most students are are pretty much in favor of people speaking. Um, it tends to be exaggerated by the right. And I think one of the things that surprised me even about this story um, is that like all the people that that Mark talked to that he could actually uh, chase down, they all seem to be like generally in favor of Netanyahu speaking, including uh, Rami, the, the Palestinian um, that you were able to find. He's like, yeah, this wasn't a free speech thing. Like, yeah, I wanted to to ask him a question. I was okay with him speaking. It's just that they had this weird, like, screening thing where basically um, Palestinian activists couldn't show up. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then you saw in that movie the way that the the press makes it an issue of free speech because they think that they can win on that. Right. They think that they can say they can paint all of the opponents as people that are against free speech, which isn't exactly right. But that gets replicated in every sort of campus free speech thing. Like, I think a lot of these um, events, like when a, a Milo or an Ann Coulter shows up, it's kind of staged. Like, they don't even really want to speak. They yeah. and a lot of times I know I've heard I've heard reporters that have reported on some of these things and they've. Uh, they've looked behind the the like administrative elements of it, and they're like, "Well, the university said you had to do X, Y, Z to plan an event, and they just didn't do it, and they wanted the event to get canceled." That happens all the time um, because they want to generate that conflict. Yeah, there's you. There's no like, what are they going to say of substance at the university anyway? I am being censored. The the powers that be hate me. Um, it is <laughs> like people understand the dimensions of you know free speech conflict that they'll experience when they go here. And 
these people make it their jobs to be distasteful. Yeah. And, you know, they will go, they will not be able to speak, and they will become more popular. So exactly. it's, it's it's the clout economy. It's all about mm-hmm. clout. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's that's it's just it's fascinating, right? I think it's easier to to locate yourself politically, especially if you're like one of these students, because it's like you can just slot into a career as being controversial influencer who is not allowed to speak <laughs> at a university <laughs> um, and then also help Kanye West with his political campaign as Milo <laughs> was doing recently. So I, I, brave work. I was going to say, yeah, um, Elon Musk should, should, should maybe listen to this chat to help him <laughs> think through his, his fiasco, his free speech uh, fiasco on Twitter. Absolutely. But, but it is difficult to think about, right? Like, um, you know, these students will have heard about the civil rights movement where defenders of free speech were in the right and they were doing that so that their movement could blossom and sustain and push forward. And then you've got all of these trolls who are like leveraging, leveraging it with incredible success in the opposite direction. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> it's, it's just, you know, like you said, Evan, this is one of those, th- those conversations that's so frustrating. And I guess one of the things that makes it even more frustrating is to see that we're having the exact same conversation in, in the early two thousands. Like it's not mm-hmm. going, it hasn't gone away. It's been here for a long time. It will continue uh, to persist. Yeah. <laughs> the the tolerance of our opponents uh and their rights to uh speak on trampling our rights yes. it's a excellent cycle that will not leave us anytime soon yeah um what what else did uh did i did we want to talk about i'm trying to think of some of my favorite uh moments of the film I mean, w- w- one of the things that I liked about it was, and this also resonates uh, with me and my activism, like there's a kind of perverse uh, love-hate relationship um, with the people that are on the other side of a question. And you see, like, these guys are friends. <laughs> like, they hate each other, but they also hang out and they, like, love to yell at each other. Um, and clearly, that is their hobby. <laughs> so I think there's kind of an undercurrent of, like, camaraderie that's that's not, you know, it's worth, it's worth raising because I think that the film does, um, does a pretty good job uh, raising that. Um, and then the flip side of it is, like, all the students, uh, and this maybe, you know, speaks to, the mass of students that we're talking about that just don't care. I mean, they're just like, what the fuck are these people on and on about? And and those are some of the funniest um, elements of, of the movie, which really resonate with, with my student activism as well. Um, after you, you hang around enough, you realize like, Oh, you're in a um, campus of 50,000 or 40,000. Um, and there's 200 of you or 150 of you <laughs> that are the activists and the same ones show up again and again and again. And I would tell my friends some of these stories, like the one I told you, Evan, or the kind of story one would see in Discordia, but this crazy thing that was going on and how much it meant to me and all the people involved. And just eyes would glaze over, like, what the fuck? Yeah. (laughs) It's the uniting social power of being a nerd instead of being (laughs) uh, like a sports nerd or a a memorabilia collector. These people have decided to engage in politics. And I... I I fondly think of a couple of my like opponents in some issues that uh you know especially in on campus life that I was having and it's it's so easy to caricature 
people um there was this one guy i am not going to name him but there was a campaign to you were talking about operg earlier there was a campaign to defund aperg um to uh get rid of any of the student dollars that would go towards it and the one guy who was on the the no side like i want to get that money out of here um he he was so misplaced because I think he had gotten his politics from being angry on the computer at like <laughs> things being too woke. And then when it came time to be, okay, you need to be well-spoken on stage now because there's hundreds of students here. He didn't know what to do. And it's just like, he had pangs of social anxiety and there would be like 15 seconds of silence and people were looking around like, what is this? And oh, then wow. you realize that the powerful thing that bonds these people uh, besides for being potentially unsociable um, is being a nerd. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, you want to be a nerd for like, I deserve freedom of the marketplace and student government or something. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I salute those brave souls for getting involved in the arena of oh, student God. politics. It's wow. fascinating people. That is, I mean, that it, politics generally, like the psychology of anyone who gets involved in it and then the psychology of their performances is is a lot i always i'm always have to be reminded that we're the weird ones <laughs> the yeah. ones that are just kind of doing their thing evan um, what, what was your and, and both you guys like gord referenced the fact that um people on various sides of this thing like it, i don't think it, it's making it into our doc but some of the conversations i had and even pre interviews i had with the people that we talked to we talked about having you know smoking cigarettes with people on the opposite side so guys with hillel would be talking with guys from sphr and having smokes and talking about whatever you know whatever movie they saw or who they were dating or whatever um was that a reality for you guys that that you were sort of able able to bridge the gap socially with some of your oh yeah in, in this world in fact this was actually um a huge uh point of tension in my uh student activism days because i had this friend julian uh who people at ubc will know uh, that was like the most rabid right-wing uh, Israeli awareness club person. He was like the the vice president. Um, and we just had a fondness for each other. We became really good friends, went to everything together. We just yelled at each other and like debated everything um, till like three in the morning. We eventually became roommates. We had a terrible falling out. That's a uh, story in and of itself. Um, but but I, I so much appreciated how willing to be sort of in the trenches against me he was. And he would take me to all these, uh, there's the Jewish fraternity, he'd take me to all these parties and these people would, <laughs> some of them would yell at me and some of them would love me. It's like, why are you here, bro? It's like, oh, whatever, we're here to drink and have a good time. Um, but one of the things I'll always remember with Julian and I always uh, give him credit was one of the more kind of savvy strategic things that some of the Israeli um, activists did at UBC was they tried to change the nature of the debate and what they did rather than kind of debating on principles, they celebrated Israel. So th they gave out bread, they gave out these condoms, they had all these like fun events, cultural events that were like kind of sidestepping the politics that they were advocating for. And Julian, who was on the, f like the farthest right of this, I thought had the best take. He's like, stop stop giving them bread like this is about oppressing palestinians <laughs> like <laughs> and i was like yes just put it out there you know like let's just have that let's have that debate so yeah i had a real fondness for for him uh and and a lot of my friends were very confused as to why we were friends but it's because of that kind of bluntness and um kind of conviviality even though we were always on the opposite sides we kind of respected 
each other for being in the trenches. Yeah, I I had a similar relationship with some folks, uh, not, you know, that extreme, but uh, (laughs) often like uh, I was like a a staff person at a student union. So there was like a very small number of people who shared my job working with like student leaders on like, oh, here's how we're going to talk about this issue or like these are our priorities. We're going to go to a lobby meeting with this person. We're going to run this campaign. So meeting up with the other staffers at the other student unions always a blast especially the ones that we like disagreed with um because in alberta there's like two uh like large entities of like student unions that lobby together one is like the major universities and then one is like the technical institutions so the technical colleges they all have student unions um, and their position once the UCP came in was we love the government. We can't wait to work with you as a partner in, you know, making our colleges more, you know, job ready. Um, and of course, I, I despised that. I was just like, this is so evil. Like, how can you do this? But smart, right, to to exist within, you know, the the path of least resistance. They found it and they took it. Um and I, after, you know, meetings or events, uh, I, I think we had the shared trauma of just like, we have stupid jobs <laughs> and we have to deal with stupid shit every day. And like the, the competing, you know, egos of student leaders or whatever else. So, uh, it was fascinating. I really liked one approach that we took to to our lobbying because i don't know the ucp the united conservative party if you don't live in alberta um they would come out with like these huge statements like we're going to change post-secondary we're going to make it unbelievably worse like we can't wait for you to experience this and then slowing them down so much to the point where they have to reverse their positions it's like oh look at all these other jurisdictions and how they don't do the thing you're doing uh well you know we'll support you on a couple things but we disagree with these things like fun stuff like (laughs) just bogging people down in so much tedium that they have to relent and give up on their plans that's that's always a fun strategy um takes a lot of research but it's worth it but yeah i i feel like i i liked um the sort of connection that Noah and Aaron have in this film where they go out for coffee after Hillel has sued the CSU and uh, uh, Noah is talking about how, Oh, I always thought Aaron was like this small angry guy and he still does. And he's like, well, he's just a politician. I'm not going to agree to what he wants. (laughs) And then you realize that Noah's one ask to drop the suit was that the student union uh, stops taking any, like foreign policy stances which this isn't really foreign policy right it's a student union that represents students who feel passionately about this issue so um it was that and then apologizing and then oh, maybe we'll look into dropping the suit and then ultimately you learn at the end of the film like it's you know it's thrown out of court and concordia needs to deal with it itself because <laughs> uh, the court it doesn't care <laughs> and i i feel like you know that's it's just a it it helps take the you know the point of view a bit outside of the university right and people talk about this so like we go to concordia we think it's the center of the universe and then you know from looking outside it's like these issues seem kind of trivial or mm. you know with the distance of like age it's like oh my god you know <laughs> i was embroiled in all of this so i thought that was pretty interesting yeah one of the things that i kind of struggle with looking at looking back at my activism and also um 
the activism that you see in Discordia. I think there's one of the things that the movie brings out is like, for some people, this is so personal. Um, and that is certainly true. I am, you know, certainly not Palestinian or Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it is also spectacle. Um, and, and I don't think anyone has any illusions that what they're doing, um, on campus, no matter how effective is like meaningfully going to change, um, the illegal Israeli occupation and continued colonization of Palestine. And, and I think, I think having like some level of, uh, recognition of the spectacle of it, being able to remove yourself ever so slightly, even if the issue is personal to you, um, is really helpful because <laughs> because then you can have those interesting conversations. But it's it's obviously it's hard to do, and you know who am I to say? Uh, but money, but many of the the, the Jewish characters do, um, and I remember that in my time um, at UBC as well. Uh, many of the Palestinian characters don't, which is totally understandable. Um, but but yeah, I don't know. I I I, I struggle now looking back on that, um, that fight. And I, I, I think about it in retrospect in like, Oh, it didn't really matter except for what it meant for my character or something. Um, that it was a coming of age tale. And I don't know if that's the right way to look at it either. I mean, it was, but it also has, it also means something. I mean, um, so I don't know where to sort of draw that line. You don't want to completely sort of psychologize these things because these little acts really do, amount to stuff but mm-hmm. sometimes they don't yeah i mean the, the 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 city of montreal was was divided over well, i don't know if, if it was it probably wasn't equally divided but it was riveted by the story as it mm-hmm. went down and it was very prominent in the news as things happened as the lawsuit was thrown out and a variety of other like facets of the story played out it they all were important news stories in montreal and throughout the rest of the country mm. So it was a really important part of the discourse at the time. Right. The, the, the discourse does matter. Like who sort I mean, of captures that? This might bring us around back to the, the question of like the state of activism now. Um, there are big stories, right? Like there's Cherry Creek and there's indigenous activism in BC and there's indigenous yeah. activism, you know, blocking the, the rails in Ontario. So that could be one metric of, I guess. Yeah the the liveliness of it yeah i think it's the um the fun contradiction of things getting better and worse um because i feel Mm. like there's a lot of exciting activism that grabs a lot of people um on the organized labor front there's a lot of like amazing pushes in places like the states some instances pop up in canada but i feel like there's also a very entrenched labor bureaucracy that doesn't allow for too much radical organizing to happen especially in alberta um and then also you know your opponents get smarter and savvier and more wealthy and you know their power deepens so it's Mm -hmm. it's the push and pull things get better and they get worse yeah i wonder if like a part of it is like the stuff that is exciting just like is not coming out of the academy like yeah. Like the vanguard of the most exciting leftist activism is, you know, the things that you just mentioned, Mark, like indigenous activism. Of course, many people that are involved in that are students. Um, but that's not that's not the sort of bleeding edge of it. Um so I think the center has kind of uh shifted. Uh the center of sort of radical energy has shifted. 
um, mostly because of the sort of structural things we're talking about. I mean, if you just, <laughs> the, the intense pressure that students feel to perform, uh, to even just get there, then to make it worthwhile, especially if they have crushing debt or that they're facing the prospects of graduating during a recession. I mean, who's going to waste their time <laughs> on, again, I mean, it's not a waste of time, but think about it. I mean, okay. $700 donation to this Gaza thing versus my future or a speaking event, which won't change anything versus my future. I think people make that bargain and really, I mean, it's kind of a rational bargain. I think, I think it, it makes a total amount of sense. Um, I think my activism was good for me, but you can kind of run that counterfactual and say, uh, what if I actually got better grades in my undergrad? You know, would, I, would I go to a better school? Would I have a, a professorship by now? Um, I might. Um, so maybe it wasn't. I don't know. It is all shaped by class, as yeah. all of our society is. And I, I think, you know, we're probably wrapping up our conversation. But seeing as how, like, student politics really became a thing in, like, the mid to late 60s, um, I think that was when that's at a time where post-secondary education becomes, you know, a more accessible reality for a lot of people. Um, now, post-secondary, more expensive than ever, not going to decrease in price. Um, plenty of people choose not to go or go to, you know, a trade school to start working in a career where you can make a good chunk of money, especially I'm living in Alberta. You know, if you're like a plumber or a carpenter, if you work in the oil fields, you do not need a university education for that. Um, so you get this this sort of like cluster of people with the ability to go to university um, who maybe have less of a desire to have like a radical activist, you know, bent to their thinking. Um, so, you know, it's it's the alienation of modern life. Um, but, you know, people are disconnected. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you you still see those contestations of power elsewhere. Um, or still at the universities, but taking, you know, a different form. So fascinating world that we live in. Do we want to get into our final thoughts on on Discordia? Yeah, I would say two things about the flick. If uh, you have since graduated, um, if you were involved in any sort of campus activism, I think you will feel uh, nostal nostalgic pangs um, or regret <laughs> if you weren't, because I think it's really exciting. Um, and if you're still a student, uh, especially a young student, and you're thinking about whether or not to get involved in campus activism, uh, despite how chaotic this is, I think this will show you that it is fun and filling, even if it is challenging and controversial. So that's my plug, not just for the movie, but for about, uh, doing the messy work of, of university activism. Well said. Yeah, I I agree. I think uh, it's a great film. I really enjoyed watching it. NFB, many bangers on there <laughs> that you can watch for free. Um, and I think reflecting on what you said, Gord, like campus activism can be good because you get involved in it. And I feel like it's so individualized, right? It's like, especially in this film, you see it's like the these contestations of power are centered around a handful of people who are able to push the needle and get people engaged in these issues. And I feel like when people become disengaged or they think, oh, I can't do anything, change is impossible, then it's not going to happen mm -hmm. because you aren't there to do it. So yeah, the, the challenge is big. 
Uh, will you get some sort of uh, special trauma from it? Maybe. Um, but will you also make uh, friends and potentially take up smoking? Yes. So uh, I think it's worth it. Yeah, an interesting point is that um, the people we spoke to all have really, really fond memories and very mm -hmm. positive things to say about their experience as activists. Mm -hmm. um, all of them said that it changed their lives. So one character ends up putting his life to Israel and making Aliyah, and he's now a tour guide there. And um, one, the, the Palestinian activist now makes a fair amount of money doing stuff in the corporate world um, and uh, doesn't care if he's being a seller or not. But uh, yeah, I, I think it does kind of like coalesce a group of people. Um, you experience a community that, you know, maybe a bit of an antidote to a certain amount of alienation in the, in the, in the modern world. Um, but I think it does give something to people. Before we get into recommendations, I am very much looking forward to listening to your series on this film because I am a special features guy. When I watch movies, I love commentary tracks, love behind the scenes. So I will be I will be treating your series as special features to this movie, you know, going over to that menu, hearing more about what happened. Uh, let's get into recommendations, fan favorite segment where we talk about the pieces of media, life experiences, or anything else under the sun that we've enjoyed this week that we want to pass along to you, the Kino Lefter audience. I'd like <laughs> to kick us off this week. Um, my recommendation is going to be um, characteristically weird and off-putting. Um, I have been on a YouTube rabbit hole recently um, of, I love finding white noise, just something that I can absolutely drown out the outside world, not literal white noise, but people talking about things that I have a kind of interest in, but I don't really need to hear the details. I've been loving being really invested in the world of action figure YouTubers. These are people who have very, have very detailed knowledge of the manufacturing of action figures, wow. the, the market for action figures. Wow. I went on uh, action figure 411. It's this website where you get these beautiful charts of the eBay auctions for figures. <laughs> What's going up? What's going down? It's the stock market. Uh, there's drama between YouTubers. So that is my recommendation. If you actually want details on it, you can message me or something. I will give you a couple channels to check out. <laughs> but action figure YouTubers. I'm hankering for some details on the uh, the kind of drama. Like, what can you, can you give us a teaser there? Oh man, people get called shills, uh, you know, for whatever company they're working for. Like, oh, you only like Disney because you know X, Y, or Z. Um, there, there's some personal beef with uh, other YouTubers. Maybe some things were said at a convention uh, between YouTubers, and now it's like we're friends off. So yeah, it's. It's an amazing time, so wow. I would highly recommend <laughs> checking people out in that scene. I wonder if in their uh, disputes, they sort of take on the personas of some of the characters. <laughs> like if you've got the, the, the guy who brings his, his He-Man to the, to the fight. And mm -hmm. <laughs> or becoming goes, goes the, gray skull. the Zord or whatever from Power Rangers. All the YouTubers come together into one giant form to defeat someone else. I'd love to see that. Mm. Um, my recommendation, so what have I been reading lately or looking at lately? All I do is two things. I do my podcast and I do school because I'm a PhD student. Um, and the last couple of weeks, I've been basically reading how like liberal technocratic journalists have tried to metabolize uh, the Trump election and what like trends of science and explainer journalism emerged out of like the psychic wound of Trump mm -hmm. winning. Um, and one, okay, one is a genuine recommendation because 
he's a great writer, Michael Lewis. Uh, Money, I read Moneyball, and then I read The Fifth Risk. So I kind of saw, saw the, the swoop, swoop of his his career. Um, and then I read Ezra Klein, which is like the, sh- the shitty Michael Lewis. Oh, yeah. Um, but basically, okay, so you've got Michael Lewis, who's like, I love experts, you know, they're going to revolutionize baseball. Uh, then Trump wins, and uh, suddenly it it becomes, why is everyone so irrational? I have to like embrace behavioral science and like, um, why are, are all our brains broken? So I read The Fifth Risk Rightly, which was a good book, but um, I love, hate him because I love him as a writer, but I, we, we did not see eye to eye. But basically, it's a love letter to like the administrative state. And The Fifth Risk is project management. <laughs> So basically, it's a book about how like uh, we've gotten bad at at project management, and that's the downfall of um, of uh, democracy. And so this 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 gives you a sense of like the blinkered political imagination of our premier kind of liberal journalists, which is so, such a so good read. Policy failure is bad product management. Yeah, project ex- management. exactly. So so the project management refers to. This this like person in the Department of Energy who was planning the cleanup of the Hanford nuclear site, and they were cutting like some of the budget for that project. And Hanford uh, was one of the Manhattan Project sites. And so his takeaway from like what does this story tell us is not that you know Hanford like deliberately poisoned people. They did all these experiments on people nearby. They like threw toxic waste uh, without any sort of care about how to store it. They dispossessed indigenous populations. You know, the administrative state did all these terrible things. And that's just not in the story. It's like, oh, how are we managing the fixing of this? Um, Anyways, I would put the plug in for Michael Lewis, even though I hate him. Hate read Ezra Klein, though. I mean, his book, I got to say, there wasn't enough talk when this came out, the one on polarization. This is like liberal phrenology. I was like steaming after reading it. It was it's like trying to explain every political conflict through biological differences, essentially. Ooh, that's, <laughs> that's so weird because he went head to head with um, Murray, with, right? What's his nuts? No, no, about Murray, but yeah. um, the the podcaster uh, Sam Harris. Sam Harris. Yeah, yeah. He went head to head with him. I mean, taking. Yeah. Opposite side. Yet he he quotes this guy, you know, the biology of uh, political differences, all these sort of character types, psycho psychological traits of like conservatives love with purity, you know, that kind of research and all sorts of things about what our like background Hmm. uh, informs how we how we approach politics. So this is how they're metabolizing their political defeat. Um, (laughs) So I've been reading that recently. Not healthy. I, I, no, no, Lord, that's that's uh, Health Canada should be um, yeah. issuing some kind of guidelines for you. Uh, I actually thought you meant we could literally say anything in this segment, so I yeah. wasn't ready for a recommendation. Although I do have a recommendation. I just read um, Ursula Le Guin's *The Dispossessed*. Oh, mm. wonderful! Holy shit, that is a good book. Mm-hmm. I was sad to finish it. It's like a sort of a weird treatise on anarchism, but the sort of background the backdrop of it this weird uh desert planet and then this fellow from this anarchist but anyway i'm not going to describe the book but it's an excellent book give it a go uh jay our a resident sci-fi jay coburn our resident sci-fi uh expert has given it a, i think a, a very very forceful thumbs up as well great um yeah so the the yarn i was going to tell was that my um partner is pregnant and we went today to a uh 
to uh, ultrasound clinic and um, her ultrasound technician was not particularly friendly. Mm. And uh, so I was invited in afterwards just to look at the baby in the, that sort of uh, on, a, on a monitor, the ultrasound image. And uh, I said, is it healthy? And the ultrasound person said, yes, for now. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. What a great thing to hear. Highlight of the day. <laughs> okay, I, have a, I have another story similar to that. One, one of my good friends um, had uh, testicular cancer, and they caught it early, luckily. But they had to remove uh, one of his testicles. And <laughs> when he was in the, the doctor's office uh, and the surgeon came, or I can't remember if it was the surgeon or the doctor, but whoever this person was, they were tasked with describing um, the procedure to him um, and all of its details. And he started the story by, okay, so to get the ball rolling, here's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, it was uh, one of those unintentional puns. Oh, I thought he was just a no. merciless <laughs> dad joke. No. <laughs> That's fantastic. I do have one funny ultrasound story. Um, my cousin is pregnant. One of my cousins, people have a bunch of cousins. Um, and uh, she got her ultrasound done. And the ultrasound technician got the sex of the baby wrong. Um, they came back a couple weeks later and said, oops, it's actually going to be this. Um, so I love medical science. And I, <laughs> I salute uh, every single person uh, who can tell me with definitive certainty what's going on. Um, I'm, I'm not, I'm not in an anti-science mood, um, but listeners of the show will know my mom had a bit of a health emergency over the holidays. So I had to deal with, um, plenty of folks who were not the most helpful occasionally mm. some very helpful people. So I, do I have an ax to grind? Who's to say, but Gordon Mark, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, it was absolutely lovely talking with you. Um, can people follow you on the computer and where can they hear more of your stuff? Absolutely. If you want to check out Darts and Letters, subscribe today. We're, we are wherever you will find your podcasts or just at dartsandletters.ca. Uh, you can find my occasional mu musings on Twitter at Gordon Caddick, uh, G-O-R-D-O-N. My musings are not even, don't even reach the bar of occasional. Uh, <laughs> I'm more of a lurker, but mm. I'm at Mark Apollonio. Terrific. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. Tina Lefter is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. You can find great leftist Canadian podcasts like Big Shiny Takes, 49th Parallel, De Planche de Vache, Habiti Please, Alberta Advantage, Tech Won't Save Us, and The Progress Report on the network. To find out more and become a supporter of the network, head over to harbingermedianetwork.com.